0: have a road trip playlist. What's in your, if you have like one or two number one songs that are in your road trip playlist, what is it, what are they? We always have We Built This City by Starship. I love that. that's the like water bottle singing song, you know? I love that song, that's a good one. I like China Road by the Doobie Brothers. That's in my brain right now. There's a reason why I'm asking about road trip playlists. I think everybody probably has one at least. We even have one that we use uh, from Shazam. If you've never used Shazam, it's fantastic. uh, I just picked up a song the other day that I had no idea about. It was a, a Judas Priest song. It was pretty cool. Anyways, it was on thing. I just pressed the button, and it goes into this playlist. And then when we go hiking or we go driving somewhere and we go get out of the city for a bit, we always put it on the playlist, and we listen to what, we, what songs we've captured. Uh, and it helps us to, to go along. It helps us to enjoy where we're going. Well, Psalm 131 is part of a playlist, so I'd like for us to read it this morning. And thankfully, it's three verses. It's awesome. Psalm one hundred thirty one. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. Well, some things this morning that uh, that I noticed in this particular psalm that are pretty awesome. Uh, and number one, it's short. I actually have that, and this, this is the only thing I'm going to say. It's three verses. It's nearly one of the shortest chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, not, uh, I think Psalm 117 is actually shorter by one verse. It's extremely short. You can read it. You can memorize it in a matter of minutes if you wanted to. It's really tiny, but. It's like one of those uh, uh, bath bombs that you can put in your bathtub to, to soak in. It's this compact thing, but you put it in there and it just bubbles out and all this effervescent amazingness starts to come out. That's what Psalm 131 is. It may look like one of those songs that's over in a heartbeat, but it is one of the most powerful psalms I think that I've ever read. It belongs to a, a collection of psalms called the Song of Ascent, Songs of Ascent. Psalm 120 through 134 comprise a songbook or a road trip playlist for Hebrews that were making their way from their uh, rural homes into Jerusalem for the feast days. So when Yom Kippur or or when Rosh Hashanah or uh, when any of the the holy days and that the Jewish religion required them to, to go and make a pilgrimage, these are the songs they would sing on the road. These are the water bottle singing songs, as you mentioned, Cindy. So their songs were sung on the way um, to, as a preparation to get their hearts ready. And so all along the time, they'd be like singing these songs. As a collection of, of tunes, uh, they mimic the life lived upwards to God, as uh, Eugene Peterson says. It says advancing from one level to another in a developing nurture or developing maturing. The whole idea is that you started out in one place and you ended it in another. If we even look at the headings in your Bible, you'll even see kind of just this progression of where they go. Where like, how my help comes from the Lord. Let's go to the house of the Lord. Our eyes look to God. The Lord is with his people. Restore our fortunes. You can see this progression of moving from one place to another in our spiritual walk. Psalm 131 also, though, the last thing I noticed is that it's near at the end of this playlist. And it reminded of the singers of the twin enemies of becoming the kinds of people that live confidently in God. And it also provides the solution. The first enemy of, of, of um, the people of God is pride and arrogance. If you look at what it says here, it says, O our Lord, our, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great. too marvelous for me the idea here is is not uh i don't dwell on amazingness you know i don't i don't you know like stare at the night sky and go wonder how far away you know that star is and and that's just way too marvelous and amazing it's not talking about that or going how in the world is freon made and how why does it chill my fridge and cause the the water line to freeze and oh maybe I should think about you know condensation and that's not what he's talking about here he's not talking about having this idea of thinking of lofty amazing things that marvel the heart and mind but what he's saying here is that my eyes are not my heart is not lifted up my eyes are not raised too high this is uh, a metaphor for pride and arrogance there are these two word pictures for a person who has become really too big for the britches A person who is so full of unruly ambition that they have replaced confidence in God and attempted to be God on their own. A person who's lifted their heart up too high or lifted their eyes too high or considered lofty things are really supplanting themselves as God. They're moving God out of the pilot's chair and saying, this is my plane now. I'm the captain. But there's another enemy in this passage that we see. As Eugene Peterson says in his book, A Long Obedience in the Right Direction, which I have here with me. If you want to borrow it, it's fantastic. It is one of the best books you'll ever read. Um, The other enemy, uh, if one is pride and arrogance, the other one is uh, an infantile, immature, and neurotic dependency. If pride is, I do it on my own, I'm the captain now. The other one says, you do it. It is the same way that uh, a frustrated uh, child will come crying to his mom because he can't do a thing. And it just whines and whines and whines. Peterson said that, that the flip side to thinking too highly is really thinking too lowly of oneself. But like a child who refuses to wean off his mother who is incessantly whining about their knees, this person or this enemy is an unsoothed, constant motion, restless and immature temper tantrum. It's a do it for me now, God. So the solution, though, that David or the the psalmist brings here is the voluntary calming and quieting of the soul. Now, on the surface, that sounds great. But any of us who wrestle with our own brains know how nearly impossible that is for us. The words here that the psalmist uses is calm. I have calmed. It means to soothe. It means the ability to tell your innermost being to get a grip. Chill. Relax. Calm down, get better perspective, compose yourself. I think of the line from the movie Moonstruck, where Cher slaps Nicholas Cage across the face and says, snap out of it. That's the idea of calming here, of soothing oneself. But the other flip side of that is quieting. The word here, quieting, really means to be still, to be silent. It's the opposite of the frenetic and frantic and chaotic nature of both the pride-filled life and the infantile soul. It's a forcing of the inner person to stop moving in speech and thought and even physically. For those of us who uh, wrestle with chaotic minds, especially in the times of crisis, we're running around going, how am I gonna fix this, how am I gonna fix this? I need to do this, ah, uh, up and down. Oh, if I do this, move this here, this, it's gonna fix it. Or we're on the other end of the spectrum and we're just laying in a corner crying, just raging out of control. But the picture here that the psalmist gives us is this picture of a child who has learned how to be with its mother neither in prideful rebellion or in infantile dependency. The moms in here or dads in here know what it's like when a child um, or aunts in here know what it's like when a child kind of gives up a little bit and just rests in your arms. There, Honestly, as a parent, that's one of the best feelings ever. When your kids crawled in your arms and they were neither like, I'll do it myself or help me, help me, help me, it was just chill. Man, there's no better place. That's just the best. And really that's the attitude and the feeling that the psalmist is giving here of a person who's comforted and quieted and calmed in the arms of God. A child who is supremely confident in his parent and whose demeanor reflects it. This is the condition of the, of the mature follower of God as they approach Jerusalem to worship. This is the clarion call for us as believers, for those of us who have trusted in God. So what's the point for us? Clearly, we don't have a playlist that we go to. Maybe you do in your car and you listen to it on the way to church. But we, we generally don't sing these songs wherever we're going for high holy days like Christmas. So what's, it, what's God getting... What does he want us to know from this? What's the point? Here's what I think. Only the soothed and motionless soul can confess ultimate confidence in God. Only the soothed and motionless soul can confess ultimate confidence in God. Here's what I'd say. Pride and immaturity of soul are part of our fallen nature. Listen, as one who is chaotic in his mind and oftentimes immature in my soul, It comes because we have rebelled, and as humans, we continue to rebel against God. Not many of us can say that we don't exhibit either of these two deficiencies of soul on a daily basis. Some of us are raging against God constantly. Some of us are wresting control from God constantly. Some of us lean to pride and said, I'll do it myself. Clearly, God, you're not taking care of what you're supposed to do. So it's on me. If it's meant to be, it's on me. That's pride. You snatch control. You plot. You plan, and you try to fix it on your own. But some of us are on the other opposite end of the spectrum, and we lean on an infantile trust in God that wails and whines to God like an unweaned child. Peterson says, in his book, that the soul needs to be calmed and quieted so that it can be itself. And when we're prideful or we're immaturely dependent upon God, we are neither. Either the prideful or the immature soul is a reflection of the person, that, uh, the person that God intends us to be. God doesn't want us to be over here, I can do it myself. And he doesn't want us over here whining and complaining. Rather, our ultimate identity as Christ followers, as God's children, should be only found in total contentment and confidence in God's goodness. We were saying that earlier. I will rest in your faithfulness. My confidence is in your faithfulness. God wants us to come to him voluntarily. Not sit in a corner and pout. Not sit and not, and not you know, pull the controls away from God's hands. But he wants us to come, as Peterson says, as an open invitation to listen and receive and enjoy our Lord. God wants his people to move into maturity, into hope. And hope is, is really just confidence in God. You know, God wants us to put our complete and utter trust in him. He wants us to be able to crawl in his arms and say, although everything else is falling around, uh, around me like fallout from a nuclear war, I have confidence that, God, you are taking care of all of my needs. Peterson goes on to say that he, God wants us to voluntarily choose to be with him, to elect his presence, to aspire to his ways, to respond excuse me to his love. Mature believers are supremely confident in God and it shows in the condition of their soul, which is calm and quiet. But let's be honest, it takes some serious effort to do that. If you go to the bookstore or you go on Amazon anywhere and you look for how to quiet my soul, you'll probably get a giant list of things that you can do. There are, there are places you can go uh, and, uh, and try and calm. There, you, know, you can go to a, a deprivation sh- a tank. You can, uh, you can read this book. You can go do yoga. You can, I mean, all of these things are, are good things. But they don't think that they truly address the, the, the storms in our own minds. It takes effort to soothe and still a restless soul on a regular basis. We all know what it's like. We can get a gain a victory here, but then something else pops up and we're suddenly down the rabbit hole of, of chaos again. It takes effort. It takes practice. It takes training to get into a state of being that is supremely confident in God in all circumstances. I had a conversation with a friend this week uh, in which I personally displayed, and I'm so unproud of this, both chaos, I can fix it on my own, and, on the other hand, whining and complaining. Neither was resting in the confidence and goodness of God. And it's amazing how quickly we can, devo- we can go into that. And here I am preaching on quiet and calm your own soul. And yet I'm terrible at it at times. How is it possible that we can be both pridefully arrogant and infantile dependency at the same time? Peterson says it is a pitched battle. It's no easy thing. It takes practice. It takes training. But a calm and quiet soul can worship and commune with God. When all of the noise goes away and we finally get into that, that sweet spot with God and we finally get into that space where we are supremely confident and we can truly love God with all of our heart and mind, our soul and our strength, but it's only in the quiet place and it's only in the calm spot. It's only within that, that, that space that we have trained our bodies and our souls and our minds to enter into, to shed all of the chaos but a calm and quiet soul can also endure hardship and conflict. Not that it's not going through it, but it is that, uh, it is that um, non-anxious presence in the midst of the storm that while even bad stuff is happening, it is just supremely confident. Uh, a calm and quiet soul can deal interpersonally with issues in your own relational connections. When things are going south, a calm and quieted soul has clarity because its ultimate trust is not in the outcome, but in God who is orchestrating all things for our good. If you look in Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 7 is probably our, our, our best image of what this person looks like. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here it is. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the image of a calm and quieted soul. Someone who says in the midst of their chaos, God, you're in control of this, and I rest in you. So how do we do it? I mean, the age-old question is, okay, this sounds great. I really could use some calm in my soul. All right, hit me, Jake. What are the eight steps? Well, here we go. How do we live in the space that's like a child who's with his mother in in her arms? Number one, here it is. It's going to disappoint you. Recognize that calming and quieting your soul is a lifetime practice. Nothing that I say today will necessarily completely help you to be in that calm and quiet space tomorrow it's going to take a lifetime for you to get to that spot because it takes daily and sometimes minute by minute exercise of the practices that calm and quiet our restless souls. The one minute you're like, I'm in, God, I'm in that spot. And then immediately, boom, like a billiard ball hitting another billiard ball. It just, it's just circling all over the place again. No one gets it right right off the bat. But when we train over and over again, with the tools that I'm going to give you here in a bit, you can learn to center yourself in the care of God. But the ultimate key is humility. Humility. Knowing that we are God's creation and also knowing who God is and then living in that reality. When we're prideful, we take an unnatural stance that says, no, I'm God. When we're down here with the infantile dependency we go no god you're still not taking care of my needs so i have to cry louder the key is knowing who we are in god humility is admission that you are not the center of the universe and yet god desires for you to participate in your coming of age in your maturity to become more and more like jesus so we recognize that it's a lifetime practice but it's also an act of the will you must voluntarily come to God. God has cut the apron strings from us. He's saying no. He's put away the pacifiers. If you remember what that's like, with, you know, trying to get your kids off the pacifier, that's an that's arm and a leg. That takes forever. But in the same way, God has said, I want you to come to me now, voluntarily. We must be willing to follow Jesus and emulate his way of keeping our souls tranquil and quiet. God will not do it for you. Uh, But nor will any one-time feat of strength accomplish it. You must engage like an athlete training for competition. So here's the practices. Here's where the rubber meets the road. One, we all must learn to practice silence and solitude. What does this mean? Does this mean, Jake, that I need to go and, you know, know, sit in a lotus position in the dark basement and, and, you know, chant? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we all ought to make time for regular periods of silence. And this means phone silence. That means not checking Instagram or Facebook or whatever else you do. It means actually taking the phone, putting it in the focus setting on your iPhone or whatever it is, or the silent setting, or leaving it in your bedroom, going somewhere else, and spending a moment or two in quiet. It could be just a short, for as five minutes a day with the phone and the TV and all of that, just put it away. And you could just be with God in that moment. In that silence and solitude, we can also utilize what we call breath prayer. I know it may sound a little woo-woo and weird out there, but it is truly something that was revolutionized by uh, our church fathers from way, way, way back then. We can take scripture and we can pray it in and breathe it out. We can say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, Have mercy on me. And in the silence of of the darkness or wherever you've hold up for that five minutes, we can repeat those prayers over and over and over. We're breathing in God's presence who's already there with us in our, our safe space. We can say, like the psalmist says, be still. We can just say that. Be still. And know that God is God. We breathe in his stillness. We breathe in his peace. We breathe in his calming effect. And then we breathe out, God, you are God, and I am not. Or another one that I love is that you are here. Let that ring in your mind. You are here, and I am with you. we practice silence and solitude and we utilize breath prayer. We begin to reform our spirits and our souls. We begin to teach it what it means to be quiet and calm and still and motionless before the presence of God. Secondly, not only silence and solitude, but contemplation. This is where we'd also take just a moment or two and savor the word of God in small bits, allowing the, the presence of God in those words to reshape us into calm and quiet people. We ought to take passages, one a day maybe, uh, that introduce us to the character of God and, and read it day by day, slowly, savoring, considering the words and what they say about God. There's no rush here. Even, but even if it's just five minutes, don't rush that 5 minutes of just contemplating part of one of my practices every morning is to is to uh, say psalm 23 and sometimes when i say the lord is my shepherd that's where i stop because i'm just consumed with what that actually means sometimes it's though i'm walking through the valley of shadow death or i will dwell in your house for somewhere along the way god uses one of those words and it just i got to stop and just really just be like whoa that what is that And allow it to calm and quiet and still and soothe my restless soul. So silence and solitude and contemplation. And lastly, community. The songs of the Songs of Ascent were not sung in isolation. They are not somebody's private prayer book. They are songs meant to be sung with other people. So when Silence and solitude has not done its job in the way we wished it would, and I'm still wrestling. And when I'm getting into God's word, and I'm still, rather than being able to, to enjoy whatever God is telling me about himself, and the thoughts and the chaos are still affecting me, God says, go to somebody. When our souls are in chaos and our mind won't turn off, and the quiet and calm eludes us, call a friend, call a pastor, call a spiritual advisor or someone you is walking with you in the way of Jesus, call him share. Hey, you know, I call my buddy Kevin. Man, my mind won't turn off. I've got so much going on in there. I really can't. And sometimes that person who's maybe trained in helping in that area will say, let's pray together. Let's together go to silence and solitude. Let's together go to the word. Sometimes just a listening ear to say, yeah, I feel you. I know what that's like. Sometimes just the act of getting out whatever is chaos in your brain, getting it out into words, sometimes flushes out the brain and the soul. As we mentioned in the beginning, these psalms are sung together. So we need to learn how to lean on one another in our chaos so that we can bring that space of stillness and quiet confidence in God and His care so that we all can get to the place of hope. Where we know that it's going to get better because God is with us. Hope will eventually, as we do these things, replace chaos, when we see clear, so that we can see clearly the goodness of God and the peace of being in His arms, secure. So, your mission. You know, it just popped in my brain that maybe we ought to think about using the that Christmas hymn, Silent Night. We're going to get into a place in Christmas time when we start to think about, well, hoping that there was snow. But there's that element in the dark when you're looking out the window on Christmas Eve and the snow is falling, and the stillness of the flakes as they fall, and the presence of God is there. And we consider. That God has come to be with us. That He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life, that will have this quality of existence that is infinitely peaceful and soothed and silent and still. Holy night. All is calm. (coughs) That is the quality of soul. So this week, Listen to that song. This week, your mission is to listen to that song and consider the stillness and calmness on the night that Christ was born. Let's take a moment in that silence, if you wouldn't mind, and let us uh, consider God's word this morning.